0: You're listening to sermon audio from Gospelite Baptist Church. For more resources or to donate to this ministry, please visit gospelite.org. Well, I've been doing some research this week in preparation for the message uh, here as we continue in this series, When God Shows Up. And so the message basically, show show that, uh, that title again real quick, if you don't mind. Desiring a greater experience of God's presence. That's kind of the goal of the next few Sundays. And uh, we've had one Sunday already where we've uh, talked about that God shows up when I'm weak. And now we're talking about God is going to show up when I'm... And take a moment and let me let that sink in for a moment when I'm humble. So I've been doing some research on insect repellent. So here I thought that the only repellent on planet Earth was insect repellent. Now, this is the time of the year where sometimes, you know, you kind of stock up on insect repellent. And it's interesting, there's all kinds of different insects. Actually, get, get this, there are thousands of different insect repellents. I had no idea what kind of big business insect repellent was. And then I started just kind of meddling with repellents. And I found out, I had no idea there are there all kinds of, it's not just limited to insects. You can actually get cat repellent. Can I get some guys that would just join me in saying, that's probably the best news you've ever heard. Can I get a few guys? Thank you. All right, and your wives are like, cut it out. You know, we're not getting rid of the cat. All right, and uh, my wife's like, you know, if you get a cat, it's over. Yeah, so I'm in good shape. Anyway, cat repellent. There is rodent sheriff. I kind of like the way that sounded, you know, rodent sheriff, you know. And so you get this. That's mouse repellent. There's bat repellent. There is, you know, uh, uh, any kind of, you know, uh, rat repellent. But get this, there is even snake repellent. Can you believe Did anybody know there was actually snake repellent? That you, I had no clue. So I'm studying all these things, and I'm understanding that repellent is big business. It's about banishing from your presence something that you don't want. Did you ever wonder what repels God? Think with me for just a minute. Did you know there are some things that we can do knowingly or unknowingly that actually repel God's presence from our lives so that he actually doesn't show up in our lives? And so the goal of this message is very simple. I've got two goals that I want to help you to understand in this message. The first goal is this. Number one, what is it that actually repels God? What repels God? What do we do that repels God? And the second goal of the message is to help us to understand what can we do to attract God's active presence in our lives. We've already determined, church, we know one thing for sure, God is everywhere. But what we're talking about is is not that. We're not questioning whether or not God is here. But we want God to be here in such a way that He can be active That his presence and his, in somewhat of an experiential way, in a tangible way, that we can see it and experience, and it's a very direct and straightforward message this morning. It's actually not easy to preach this message. One of the reasons why it's such a challenge to preach this message, it is so convicting to the speaker. And so, whenever a speaker has to speak on a message that is, he he struggles with. It makes it even more challenging to speak and to preach. But my challenge this morning is that you would open your heart and receive the message. I'm so convinced that this particular message has the opportunity for more life change in this building in one Sunday than any message maybe I've ever preached just because of what God has to say about it. So we're going to be in James chapter 4. And I want you to turn there if you have your Bibles. It's just a great, especially if you have a hard copy, just kind of getting there and getting comfortable in that passage because you may want to make some notes in the margin of your Bible. I always do that. Not that it's okay to look on the screen or have your phone. It's all good. But I I do like to hear pages turn every now and then. So James chapter 4 is a great place to be right now. That's where we're going to stay, although I'll have some other scriptures to read this morning. Very scripture-saturated message. So let's begin with this thought. Are you ready? Here it is. Pride is is always the root of the problem. doesn't matter what problem it is, pride is always the root of the problem. Now, James chapter 4, can I give you just a little bit of context here? James is writing about Christian maturity. James is is very uh, serious about this. He wants to see some maturity in, in those he is writing to. So he comes to this passage of Scripture in James where he speaks about faith and works. Are you familiar with that? Do you remember that? Have you ever actually said this? You know, faith without works is dead. Well, James is saying that if your faith hasn't changed you, it probably hasn't saved you. Because real Christians, real Christians live like Christ. At least they try their very best. They give it all they've got. They they desire to have a life that models their greatest example, which is Christ, whom they follow. And so in James chapter 4 and verse 1, he's moving along in that subject matter of faith without works is dead. And in James chapter 4, he is identifying a problem in the church that wasn't very Christ-like, okay? It it, 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 wasn't—these folks weren't looking much like Jesus because of all of the relational conflict they were having. They just weren't getting along. And there was a lot of fighting in the church. And so James writes in verse 1 of chapter 4— what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? What's going on? What's causing this? It's, it's like the, the parent that says to the child that just they just keep fighting. They have the same benefits, the same mom and dad, the same family, the same toys. They have, they've got a lot of great benefits. And so finally, you just kind of reach the point where you say, why can't you just get along? Anybody ever done that? I, as a pastor, I've done that to a lot of husbands and wives. You know, like a time out. Can we just get along here? What's going on? Why the fights? Why the quarrels? Is it not this? That your passions are at war within you? Initially, what, you, what you're thinking is he's going to be addressing this big group of people as a collective group of people. You know, the problem is, is, is here in the building. But in essence, Paul is saying the problem is not here. The problem is in here. The problem is not, you know, outside of your world. The problem is right inside of your world. And so James is saying this, that the real war is not between other people the real war is going on inside of you it's an i problem it's it's a me problem it's an i problem it's p-r-i-d-e in fact that'd be a good word to write in the margin of your bible right along this passage of scripture pride the definite the dictionary definition of pride is this inordinate self-esteem an unreasonable conceit of one's own superiority in talents, or beauty, or wealth, or accomplishments. Rude treatment of others. Pride is to have a lofty opinion of self, and it's always the root of the problem, and it repels God. Pride says, I want it. I deserve it. I will have it. I don't care what it costs or who it hurts. Pride has devastating consequences. So let me ask you a question this morning. What significant problem does not have its root in pride? Think about it. Anger. Anger is a significant problem. We all deal with it, right? We all get angry at times. I mean, it's a struggle. All of us have a tendency sometimes to go over the top. Here, here somebody pulls in front of us, and it all of a sudden it becomes a pride problem. Hey, what are you doing? Man, don't that, that you got in front of me and, and and I deserve that spot and I was here first. And it's 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 a pride problem. Jealousy. See what others have? I deserve that. I work harder than them. I've been doing this longer than them. I, I, I. Deceit. Deceit. We, we say something even if it isn't true, as long as it benefits us and makes us look better. Adultery. Adultery is not primarily a sexual thing. We'll see actually in this text that James refers to these people as an adulterous people. He's not referring to that as a physical marital adultery as much as he's saying it's, it's wanting something that is not yours. It's because you want it, because it'll make you feel good. Theft. I deserve it, so I'll take it. Betrayal. Loyalty costs too much, so I'm going to betray. I, I'm going to do this because I don't want to pay the price for loyalty. You see, pride is at the root of every significant problem in life. Andrew Murray wrote a little book that I have. It's 50 pages long. It was written in 1888. It's called Humility, the Path to Holiness. He said this, I cannot too earnestly plead with my reader to consider that all lack of love, all indifference to the needs of others, all insensitivity to people's weaknesses All sharp and hasty judgments and utterances, all manifestations of temper, and all bitterness has its root in nothing but pride that ever seeks itself. You know, this morning I woke up, and I was just off. I just wasn't on my regular self in routine and spirit. I I don't know... Everything was normal as far as getting up at the right time. Same time I always get up on Sunday. Same routine. Same McDonald's. Same cup of coffee. Three creams. A buck ninety. Everything was the same. Got to the church at the same time. Drove around the church three times and prayed. And I've got my little routine. You know, it's just, it just what, I, what I enjoy doing on Sunday mornings. Get to my office. Start preparing. I'm just off. I'm not ready. I, I'm, I get to this point in the message and i'm restudying the message i'm refurbishing i'm re firing it up in my heart and i'm just not get, i'm not feeling it at all and i'm 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 to be honest i'm concerned even to the point where i'm thinking maybe i shouldn't preach this morning and then it was revealed to me eric get up and get on your face and confess your pride you've seen it rear its ugly head up in your life a couple of times this week you've seen things, you've said things, you've done things, you've, there's been some utterances this week that were said in pride. Eric, I'm trying to get your attention. All along, from the moment I got out of bed to the moment right now in the sermon, in my preparation, I realized I wasn't ready to preach. I got up out of my desk, I got on my face, and I confessed some things that were unconfessed in my life. Pride is at the root of every significant problem we have in life. That brings me to my second truth. Pride is God repellent. Pride is the thing that pushes God out of our presence. James anticipates the complaint of the reader here. It's interesting, before he writes verse 2 and verse 3. Here's the complaint. Well, I wouldn't have this problem if God would just give me what I'm asking for. It's God's fault. You know, I'm asking for stuff, and so I want stuff, and so I've got pride because God won't give me what I'm asking for. If God would just give me what I want, I won't want it anymore. And so he anticipates that. And he says, you desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. And so, you can almost hear the people saying, well, well, I I do ask. I ask all the time. That's the problem. I ask a lot. You do, verse 3. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly. To spend it on your passions. Maybe you have a translation that says you ask amiss. That means you ask wrongly. You're asking for the wrong things. If I were to paraphrase, if this were to be the Capace translation, it might say either you're not asking God for stuff or you're asking God for stupid stuff. (laughs) You're not asking or you're asking, but you're asking for the wrong things. I want that house on the lake, God. That's that's what I need. That's what I want. I promise you, God, you give me the house on the lake it'll all be good. God, give me a million dollars to pay off my credit cards, or at least some of them that's what i want god it'll all be good after that god says why would i answer that prayer it's only going to fuel your pride more it's a wrong prayer it's it's a wrong ask how much do we actually ask god for that really has its roots ultimately in pleasing ourselves i'm guilty of that myself And I'm asking God for something, but at the end of the day, the real motive is I'm just doing it to please myself. Life would be better if God would do this. Life would be better if God would give me this. It's pride. And then verse 4 is one of the strongest rebukes in the whole Bible. I mean, this this is a little over the top. I mean, honestly, I can preach it because it's in the Bible, but if it wasn't in the Bible and I preached it, half of you would probably walk out and say, this guy's gone too far. But because it's God that says it, we can stay seated. You adulterous people. We find this statement oftentimes in the Old Testament. And it's always a picture of unfaithfulness to God. Jesus even spoke of of, of this as he said, you evil and adulterous generation. These were very strong words in Scripture. Scripture. He's not talking about physical adultery. He's not talking about marital adultery. Here in this passage, when he says, you adulterous people, he's talking about spiritual adultery, unfaithfulness to God. Adultery is the worst fear of every married person, isn't it? That they would love and give themselves to another person only to find that their spouse has taken what was very precious and violated them by giving it to someone else. And what this picture is saying in this passage is that so often we are like that in regards to God. We are allowing other things in this life to become our chief pleasure rather than the God who gave himself to redeem us. And God calls it spiritual adultery. Strong. Yes, God loves us unconditionally. I would not argue with that. Yes, he does. But that does not mean he wants us to be sleeping around with every worldly pleasure. It's almost as if we have demoted God to this warm, fuzzy feeling that it's okay. You know, hey, I'm going to go out and kind of do my thing. And then every now and then I just kind of come back and say, hey, God, can we hang out? Hey, dude, I'm kind of tired of messing around. But if you got some time, maybe we could sit and have a chat. You adulterous generation, and I'm not not saying it to you specifically as much as I'm saying it to all of us, to me. I'm asking the Holy Spirit, as he already has this morning, to convict me because God will always oppose the things in us that keeps us from him. Anything that keeps us from spending time with him, from putting him first, from, from, from spending time with him. God opposes that. James chapter 4, in verse 4, the rest of the verse, Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Think about that. God doesn't push you away. God doesn't push me away. We actually push him away. We make ourselves an enemy of God. And then James 4, 5. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the Scripture says? That one got me. Because I'm thinking, uh-oh. Am I looking at God's Word like that? Like, well, it doesn't really apply. Well, I mean, you know, that was then. This is now. It's, a, it's really not relevant do you suppose that, that, that it's, it, the, the Scripture says this just for fun, that it's in vain, that there's no purpose to it? Do you? Here it is. Do you believe God's word? Now, the answer naturally is yes. But no, wait a minute. Do you really believe it? And then James goes on to say this. He yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us. That is, that God Almighty is jealous? Wait a minute. Not in the sense that God wants things He does not have. That's human jealousy. Worship no other God for the Lord, whose name is jealous. Naam 1, 2, the Lord is a jealous and avenging God. So James says in verse 5 here in this message, or do you suppose it is no purpose that the Scripture says he yearns jealousy over the spirit that he's made to dwell in us? God wants us, all of us. Take my life as a sacrifice. I want to burn for you. Only for you. And so let's take a time out and and just for a moment. Really, we already did this in the confessional prayer. Honestly, that was pretty strong. I had another God moment during that confessional prayer. I mean, it was just so powerful. I'm confessing pride to God, I'm confessing my pride. I'm, 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 I'm Telling God, I am a prideful person, and and I am. And and God, would you forgive me? And then thanking Him for that forgiveness. So in all honesty, to an extent, that was kind of a pride test right there. But could I give you a, a, a quiz this morning? Could we take just a moment? It's not in your notes. It's just on the screen. Do you have a pride problem quiz? I have six questions for you. And question number one is this. Have you been thinking of someone else who desperately needs to hear this message while I've been preaching? You know, Martha is not here. And I'm telling you, this is exactly what she needs. That's what I'm talking about. All right, question number two. Do you think you are better than some people? How wicked is it to think that, well, my nationality is better? That's wicked. My marital status is better. My social class is better. Number three, do you think you're incapable of certain sins? You know what? There's some things I might do, but I would never do that, ever, never. I can't, in fact, I can't believe they actually did this. this is, I would never do that. Number four, are you harder on other people than you are on yourself? Question five. Do you think about yourself a lot? What do people think of me? How is this working out for me? What's in it for me? And then question six. Do you actually resent taking this quiz or refuse to participate? <laughs> so listen, if, if you answered yes to all six of these, then you have a pride problem. If you answered yes to two to four, then you have a big pride problem. And if you answered zero or one yes, you have a really big pride problem. (laughs) How many of you think we all have a pride problem? Yeah, we do. I do, we do. It's, It's at the root of every problem we have. And so as it relates to the longing in our hearts for intimacy with God God I want you to show up as it relates to that as it relates to the sermon series God shows up when I am humbled as it relates to that pride is always the problem are you ready for some good news I'm really ready to give you good news because I told you this was kind of a harder message to preach, but I am so excited about the next point. It's fantastic. It's amazing. It's awesome. It's overwhelming. And it is this. God shows up when we are humble. Isn't that great? That's great. There it is right there, church. And we're going to read it in the text in just a moment. Look with me, if you would, at verse 6. It says, but he gives more grace. Oh, I love that word more. We'll come back to that. He gives more grace. Therefore, it says God opposes the pride, but great contrast there. I think it's the greatest contrast in all of Scripture. He opposes the pride. He resists the pride. That word resist is a military term. It's, it's, it's serious. It's like a, it's like a boxer coming out of the ring in the first round. Let's get get after it. It's like a a, a soldier in the trench uh, uh, with his AK-47. It's time to jump out of that trench and, and go to war. That's what it is. It's a military term. God is opposed to the pride, and in pride comes certain defeat. It's a very scary picture when it says God opposes the pride. But it gets better because we have this contrast And I think it's one of the greatest contrasts in all of Scripture because we have this really big, 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 big problem where God is actually resisting us. God is opposing us. Pride is repelling him. And we have this really big problem. And in the midst of that big problem, God says, I'd like to help you with this. I love you. I love you a lot. In fact, you guys are my greatest treasure. And so what I'd like to do is give you some more grace. I know you've been prideful. Eric, I know you've had some problems this week. Eric, I know you've, you've been a little over the top a couple of times. I'm glad you're on your face right now. I'm glad you're confessing that sin. And guess what, Eric? And I don't know if God does this. <laughs> but I can picture God saying, I love giving more grace. It's my favorite thing to do. So thanks for repenting so I could give you more grace. God wants to give us grace this morning. Oh, listen to this. It it was just some words out of a commentary, but I wrote them in my notes, and I want to give them to you. It's not on the screen. It's not in your notes. It probably should have been in your notes because you would want to read this again, but here's what I read. What comfort there is in this verse, in this verse. It tells us that God is tirelessly on our side. He never falters in response to our needs. He always has more. He always has more, and yet more grace to give. Whatever we may forfeit when we put ourselves first in our sinful human pride, we cannot forfeit our salvation. There's always more grace. No matter what we do to him, he's never beaten. Even if we were to turn to him and say, well, what I've received so far, God, is much less than enough. He would reply, well, you may have more grace. His resources are never at an end. His patience is never exhausted. His initiative never stops. His generosity knows no limits. He gives more grace. God Almighty is willing to do everything that possibly can be done to help us get free from the debilitating consequences of our prideful hearts. He's willing to do anything. He'll always give more grace. It's amazing. So the question is, are you willing To let him do the thing that he needs to do to make the change in your life. Are you willing to do that? Am I willing to do it? God wants to show up in this church in a deeper way. God wants us to experience. Listen, we've had some amazing things that happened in our church and are happening. And it's special. And I referred to that a couple of weeks ago. Very very shortly, because I don't, I don't want to make too much of it, because it's, it's God doing it. God is showing up, and He's not doing it because we're bragging about it. He's doing it, number one, because we're weak, and number two, because we're humble. And the more we can acknowledge our weakness, and the more we can allow God to make us humble, the more God's going to be able to show up and do what only He can do. Well, it's time to define humility. Are you ready? But the dictionary definition was like lame. It was was like, all right, pride was good. I kind of enjoyed that one. I thought, well, that'll work. So I decided to let Jesus define humility. So I went to the New Testament. And I found that Jesus was the greatest example and the greatest definition of humility. God is all about And so I want us to just kind of dive down into the book of John, and I want to read you several passages of Scripture where Jesus demonstrated humility to us. Let's begin in John chapter number 5 and verse 19. So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord. Jesus is saying, I can't do anything by myself, only what he sees the Father do." John 530, Jesus said, I can do nothing on my own. John 638, for I've come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. John 716, so Jesus answered them, my teaching is not mine, it's it's his who sent me. John 728, so Jesus proclaimed as he taught in the temple, you know me and you know where I come from, but I have not come on my own accord. So selfless, so humble. John 8, 28, so Jesus said to them, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father hath taught me. John eight forty two. Jesus said to them, if God were your Father, you would love me, for I came from God and I am here, but I came not on my own accord, but He sent me. And listen to this clear statement of humility. Yet I do not seek my own glory. Jesus Himself saying, I, I don't seek my own glory. Whew. John 14, 10. Do you not believe that I'm the Father and the Father's in me? And the words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me. We sang a moment ago, the second song in our worship set was, Yet not I, but Christ in me. It's not me, it's the Father in me. I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. It's not me, it's Him. And then John chapter 15, verse 5, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me. You can do nothing. George Washington said, without a humble imitation of the divine author of our faith, we cannot hope to be a happy nation. Wow. And we are not a happy nation. Our nation is filled with pride. I love what Andrew Murray said. I stand amazed. At how little humility is sought after as the distinguishing feature of the disciples of Jesus. It should be number one. It should be the first feature that people notice about the church of Jesus Christ. It should be what people feel when they walk into the room. What a humble people. And and I sense, I'm sensing God is working even now. This message is, is, is not a message so much of a pastor rebuking His people. It's a message of the Holy Spirit rebuking the pastor and praying that God is doing the same in all of us, that he can bring us to a place of total dependence upon him to make us more into the image of his son Jesus, which is our only hope for humility. So let me be clear. Humility is not putting yourself down. Sometimes I think we kind of get off on that. We think we're doing good by saying, I'm no good, I'm terrible, I'm the worst, I'm terrible, I'm definitely not the be- i'm awful and we think we're being humble when we say these awful things about ourselves so we 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 test our humility by putting ourselves down that is not humility it is recognizing that we are nothing without jesus that any good in us is all jesus And God has worked through us, and he's done things through us, and he's maybe raised our children through us, but it's all Jesus. We get no credit. We just give him all the glory. So this week, I'm reading my devotions, right? And I get this devotion, and I'm thinking, honestly, I'm thinking, maybe I should call the person that wrote the devotion and ask him, did you actually send this to me, or did God email this to me? I'm thinking God's got an email address. How many of y'all think maybe God's? I think he may have one. I don't, I, I don't know what it is. <laughs> I just you know sometimes I get emails and I'm like, okay, God, thank you. Uh, the only book that really celebrates humility as a virtue is the Bible. That book stands against our world's devotion to self-esteem, self-improvement, self-actualization by revealing the humility of Jesus Christ. What is Humility. As an uncertain author once wrote, humility is not thinking less of yourself, but rather thinking of yourself less. This allows you to think of God and others more. Because of sinfulness in our fallen world, pride is like gravity, constantly seeking to pull us down and must be fought against. Here is the contrast between pride and humility. Pride is our greatest enemy. Humility is our greatest friend. Pride compares... To others, humility compares to Jesus. Pride criticizes others' success. Humility celebrates others' success. Pride is about me. Humility is about Jesus and others. Pride is arrogant. Humility is confident. Pride is independent living. Humility is dependent living. Pride is a destination. Humility is a direction. We don't become humble by focusing on our pride. We do become humble by focusing on Jesus' humility. Jesus Christ is the greatest person in history because he was the most humble person in history. Jesus Christ is the most beloved person because he's the most humble person. Jesus humbly left the throne in heaven being worshipped by angels to enter his creation as a baby in a manger surrounded by animals. As a kid, God obeyed his parents and did his chores. As a man, God worked as a carpenter with his father Joseph. Eventually, in humility... Our humble, homeless Savior died for our sins, rose for our salvation, and today he has returned to glory but continues to gladly serve us humbly by forgiving our sins, hearing our prayers, and humbly preparing an eternal home where everything's going to be perfect and provided as gifts for a God who is humble enough to help us. Wow. So let me ask you a question. If Jesus himself saw and embraced his own limitations apart from the father can we afford to do less apart from him and i think the answer is no so how can we embrace humility what's the solution to this pastor how can we actually attain this i, I desire this what what do i have to do well that's a good question and i have a good answer it's straight from the bible so look what you would please at james chapter four and verse number seven where it says number one submit Yourselves to God, and that's my first that's the first way to become humble. It's to submit yourself, submit to God. The idea of submitting to God is giving up the fight, it's the idea of letting God have His way. And this is not as easy as it sounds. In fact, where are you refusing to submit to God? Identify those areas? What what area is it? And look, maybe this is going to be much more than just in this service where you're sitting here kind of listening and thinking at the same time. Maybe it's best to keep listening for a moment, and this afternoon take 10 minutes on a park bench, in your backyard, on your front porch, somewhere alone, and just get a piece of paper, get a pen, and just say, God, Holy Spirit, reveal to me the, the areas that I'm not submitting to you. Show me, God, where am I prideful? Where am I putting something before you? Show me, God. He will show you. God, I will allow you. I'm giving you permission to break the habits in my life that I've wanted to break for so long, but I can't seem to do it. I'm going to stop fighting, God. I'm going to stop faking the Christian life. I'm going to pick up your word. I'm going to start praying. I'm going to fast from time to time. I'm ready, God. I'm ready, God. I want to submit to you. That's the first way to become humble, submit to God. You say, well, the last time I submitted to God, I failed. I've been there. I've been there. And that's why the last part of verse 7 is there. Look at it on the screen. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. This is incredible. Are you ready for this? Are you sitting down? Yeah, good, okay. God's people need to get a hold of the promise of Scripture that we have victory over the enemy. I am pumped about this. I want to spend the rest of my day saying, why are we walking around uh, with our heads tucked down and and defeated and uh, woe is me and I can't, wait a minute. In the authority of Jesus' name, you can resist the devil and he will flee from you. This is the promise of God. In the Old Testament, we find it in Isaiah chapter 54 and verse number 17. No weapon that is formed against you shall prosper. No weapon that is formed against you shall succeed. And you shall refute every tongue that rises against you in judgment. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. And their vindication is from me, declares the Lord. We find it in the New Testament. Romans chapter 16, verse 19 and 20. But I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. And the God of peace will soon crush Satan under his feet. That's the God you serve. That's the Jesus you worship. Church, we have victory in the name of Jesus. And we can live in victory. We can live in humility. We can see God give us more grace. We need to get a hold of this victory that is in Christ Jesus to resist the enemy. That he would flee from you. You say, but just, that's, that. go back to that verse real quick. Resist the devil. Res, uh, submit yourself. Resist the devil. He that looks really exciting, doesn't it? But how do we do it? I mean, what do we do, preacher? Do we just resist the devil? How, how do you resist him? Here it is. Ready? I'm going to tell you how. Simple, simple. Name the lie, insert the truth. Name it, because the devil, will, he lies, he is the father of all lies. He will come to you, he'll say, you know what, you're worthless, you need to give up, you, you can't do this, you, you, you know, you're not good, he'll, he'll, there's all kinds of things the devil is going to say to you, they're all lies, and you just tell the devil to go on back to hell and name the truth, that's what Jesus did in Matthew chapter 4, look at it on the screen. In Matthew 4, Jesus did this. The tempter comes and says to him, here's the lie. Here's what the devil says to Jesus. If you're the son of God, command these stones that they become bread. Name the lie, insert the truth. He answers and says, it's written. Man shall not live by bread alone, but everywhere that comes from the mouth of God. Do you see it? There it is. As soon as the devil comes to you with his lie, you replace it. With the truth of God's word, that's how Jesus did it. That's how you do it. That's how how I resist the devil. That's why memorization of scripture is so important. Submit to God. Number two, draw near to God. James chapter 4 in verse 8, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. That's a simple process. It really is. It's, it's inviting God to show up in your humility. And when you invite God to show up in your humility, God will draw near to you. I think sometimes we quote this verse and we don't think about it. Just, just, listen, sometimes preachers, what we do is we over-preach a verse and we preach ourselves right over the truth because we try to get too deep. I ain't going deep on this verse. I'm going real surface draw near to God, he will draw near to you. Let's try that together. Ready? Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. One more time. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Okay, I'm done. That's a good verse. That's how you become, well, you just get close to Jesus. And when you get close to Jesus, he gets close to you. And you've got to do that in humility. You've got to see God for who he is. And how do you do that? Well, when you, when you get close to God, there's some stuff you've got to do. The first thing is found in James chapter 4 in verse 8. It says, cleanse your hands, you sinners. Draw near to God, he will draw near to you. How do I do that? I've got to cleanse my hands. There's a picture here. The cleansing of hands is always a picture of stuff we do that is wrong. When I enter into the presence of God, I'm I'm really just how how wrong I am, how sinful I am, how wretched I am. Cleanse your hands. We sang a moment ago, "Clean your hands, purify my heart, I want to burn for you, only for you." I had a beautiful picture of this this week. Someone called me up on texted me on Tuesday and just said, "Pastor, Have you got a few minutes? And I said, Sure, come on up. He said, I'm a few minutes away, I'll I'll be right there. He comes up to my office, he sits on my couch, and we begin to share. And before long, tears are flowing down this young man's face as he repents of his sin and puts his faith in Jesus Christ. And to God be the glory, he's getting baptized in the first of July. You know why? Because he came and said, Clean my hands. That's how you get saved. You come to God in repentance and you turn from your sin and you turn to Jesus. But that's not just how you come to Jesus. Get this, church. That's how you come back to Jesus. In fact, John chapter 1 and verse number 9 says it like this. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to what? Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This is not only the first approach to God, clean my hands, but it is the approach to God every time I come back to Him. That's what your pastor did this morning. I wasn't ready to come into the pulpit. I'm ashamed to tell you that I wasn't ready as of about eight thirty this morning. Not eight thirty. I'm sorry, about seven thirty, or actually seven. I wasn't. You say, well, pastor, maybe somebody else should have preached. I agree, no doubt. Before seven o'clock, we needed another. We needed a fill in that week, but after seven o'clock. Clean my hands, purify my heart. I want to burn for you, only for you. So guess what I'm doing right now? I'm just burning for Jesus. Man, I got my hands cleaned. It's funny. He likes to clean hands when you come to him in humility. Purify my heart. What is that all about? Well, notice the last part of that verse. You double-minded. Isn't it interesting that he says that? Because an unpurified heart is the heart that wants God and, I mean, I like God. He's a cool dude. But I also like my sin. I love my sin. I like God. He's great. I love God on Sundays. He's cool. God is cool on Sundays. Worship, do my thing, meet people. It's great to be a Christian on Sundays. But on Mondays and on the weekends, God's okay, I mean, he's still there, but purify your hearts, you double-minded. A purified heart is not about God and, it's about God only. Only God. Stop wanting God and, and just want God. Submit to God. Draw near to God, and number three, and I'm done, take God seriously. Church, that's what we need to do. Because this is a serious subject. Look at verse 9. Be wretched. Be wretched. Yes. Mourn. Weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Now, first of all, let, let, let me identify that this is not a condemnation of laughter. For just a moment, we know Scripture says a merry heart does good like a medicine. Amen, right? I've laughed this morning. I've had a good time. We've laughed a couple of times in church this morning. And that's good. What this is a condemnation of is the thought that God is just a warm, fuzzy feeling. That that, that God is just something that we just can kind of keep in our hip pocket. When we need him, we kind of genie, you know, rub the bottle. and Okay, God, I need you. Now, go back in the bottle. God says, listen, I need you to understand. Take me more serious than that. If you want a close, intimate relationship with God, you have to do the hard work of facing your sin. It's, it's not easy. It wasn't easy this morning, to be honest with you. I wanted to study right through that conviction. I did. I was like, man, okay, this, this is cool if I could just kind of get through this. And I, when I gave in, it was like, okay, this is a lot better than fighting God. But I tell you, initially, it's a battle because Satan does not want you on your knees. Satan does not want you in the presence of God. Satan does not want you drawing near to God. So there's going to be a battle between the flesh and the spirit. But you got to do the hard work. And when you're willing to do that, can I tell you what the hard work includes? It includes this verse. Be wretched. What does that mean? To be wretched means genuine feelings of wretchedness consistent with seeing my pride before the holiness of God. What does it mean to mourn? Mourn is the genuine outward demeanor of those who are gripped by grief over their pride. What is mourning? Mourning is weeping, it's the tearful overflow of a heart that is gripped with sorrow over sinful pride that has made it so restless and unhappy for so long. So, so Scripture says, get serious. If you're going to get rid of your pride, you're going to have to be wretched. You're going to have to mourn and weep. And for a while, just put laughter to the side and just weep before God. Confess your sin. Get it right, church. Get it right, pastor. Does not matter how many years you've been saved? Does it matter the size of your congregation, Eric? It doesn't matter whether your budget's up or down. What matters is, son, do you know that all of that is because of a holy God that loves you and has been good to you and has given you more grace when you didn't deserve it? That's what it's about. And that's when God shows up. He shows up when we are humble. And so let me close with verse 10. It's a beautiful verse. It is a beautiful verse. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. I almost can hear James like, okay, I got it out. I said everything that the Holy Spirit wanted me to say. Now I get to say this. When you humble yourself, God, he can lift you up. He can exalt you. Brothers and sisters, and I have this in your notes at the very bottom. I want you to think with me about what phenomenal work God could do in our lives if we would humble ourselves before him and honestly come before a righteous, holy God and say, and say what? I I don't know what you need to say. You don't know what I need to say. But there's something we need to tell God today. I don't know what it is for you. I know what it is for me. I feel like God has brought me to a place this morning where I really could preach this message with full power, with full assurance that he is with me, that this is going to be affected, And I want you to know that God is is an all-consuming fire. And his grace is scandalous. And every time I have found myself falling short, God has always given more grace and allowed me to get up and keep going. And I think I'm finally getting it, church. You say, really, Pastor? I thought you'd get it a lot way before this. I'm sorry. I just, I'm, I missed it for a lot of years. I, and I haven't gotten it yet. But I tell you what I'm, I'm starting to get. The more I confess my pride, the more I hate it. I hate it. <laughs> I hate it. I want to hate it. I want to love Humility. I just want to be broken and spilled out. But it's hard sometimes because my flesh wants to be about me, right? I deserve this. I want this. God says, I want you to want me. Just want me. I'll give you more grace. Want me more than things than materialism, want me more than fame and fortune and popularity. Humble yourself. I'll exalt you. I'll give you favor. I'll help you in ways you could have never been helped on your own. Church, God shows up when we're weak and when we're humble. That's my prayer for our church today. Father, I love you, Jesus. God, I pray that you'd please take this truth and Holy Spirit. Would you please give our church a greater understanding of your grace? And as we worship this morning, and as we worship in, this, in the spirit of this truth that this song says, God, may we humble ourselves before you with a heart of gratitude and thanksgiving. Change us, God. Show up. Show up, God. Be real to us. Be be tangible. May we experience a deeper sense of your presence in our lives, in our homes, and in our church. In Jesus' name, amen. Shall we stand?